You're listening to Red Nation Online. Let's in the eight. It lays it off of Bradley Rowe. Over to Josh McCarty, and he deflects it home. Three down Red Bulls. What a play. Now, if you're a New York Red Bull, you've got to be thrilled. This is the way to come out and play in a critical Monday, October 13th, it's EMB Sports, Aaron Nielsen, and I'm Ian Clark, and we've had the misfortune of watching another poor result in New York that looks to have sealed TFC's fate in a 3-1 loss. Even with the slightest shot at catching Columbus, there's nothing to indicate the club can muster the self-belief to win two clutch games in order to get in the playoffs. We cover what we assume everyone is discussing with regards to another year without the postseason. The DP signings, for example, the struggling defense, is Greg Vanny the right choice for 2015? And finish off wondering if TFC is even better off than they were at the end of 2013. All this and more in the next 40 minutes on Eastside Stand Up. failure to this moment and new management has to come in and change that culture and I don't think what the team did this year in any way changed that culture and it actually probably made them worse right you, you need yeah, you got to stop we got to start yeah. this podcast for real okay because we, we haven't we've been shooting the shit but this is like <laughs> you only okay. get one take okay. sure, sure, <laughs> that kind sure, of material sure. man you're gonna you're gonna be like you got to say exactly what you said all right okay okay so I think we should we should roll in. We just roll in this now, Aaron. And I, yep. you know, it's we we make this joke now every time. I mean, it's just like I gonna I'll book you when next season's schedule is released. I'm gonna <laughs> I'll book you in for New York, all their games, you and it's you like you, you are now the New York Red Bulls expert on East Side Stand Up. Uh, <laughs> and you know, the funny thing is, coming into this game, Aaron, is that mm-hmm. uh, last episode we were kind of joking how you know Steve and I were looking at how this season was shaking out these last few games and i don't know what we were thinking we were looking at the montreal game like that was going to be that could be potentially the kicker and mm. i guess the only saving grace i guess is we didn't lose five nil you know because obviously with toronto lost three one to the new york red bulls and yeah. mathematically still you know it's just like i i don't know anyone who's who's really going to pull this card out, you know, <laughs> that, uh, oh, we're mathematically still in it. Uh, you know, Toronto wins their next two games, and I guess in Columbus loses their next two games, Yeah, yeah. we can get in the playoffs. But, I mean, to me, it's just so unlikely. We said this last week where it's just, what, indi- what indicator have we seen from the last month or yeah, two months yeah. that yeah. Toronto is a team that, uh, you know, the one word I wouldn't describe them as is clutch. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Well, I actually, you know, I, I worked um, in previous career. I worked in, in sports betting. And one of the jobs I had was creating lines for sports betting. And you can create these percentages which say to you, you know, this team has 20% to win or this team has 60% to win. And I and this was before the New York game. So basically, I, as you said, the Toronto still has a shot. But I, you know, basically for me, they're over. But even before, even after they lost the Houston game, 
the you know the line I said is that the Toronto has a ten percent chance of making it by winning, but they can still automatically make it by winning their final three games. But the chance of doing that is ten percent. So in this case, you have to take into account Columbus has to lose both of their games, even though they're playing Philadelphia's out of it. And more importantly, Toronto has to win their final two games. Things happen in sports, so they could come through. But I, to be honest with you, and I, I don't think this changes our conversation today, where, where even if the, 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 you know, for the weirdest reason, Toronto flicks themselves in, I don't think it re- removes any questions about the team and any concerns about the team going in the future and to next season. Yeah, and I think that's something I brought up last week where I said, can you really walk out of a season extended, even if they get in the playoffs in that last spot and get bounced out in that first game, I mean, are, are they yeah. going to be celebrating that for real? And it really feels like even if they do get into it, I mean, their numbers to me kind of look like that Vancouver team from two years ago where you could really, like when you looked at all the teams that made it in the playoffs and then you had Vancouver sitting there, which I, I, I remember correctly, they were at something like their goal difference was like negative seven. And every mm-hmm. other team that was in the playoffs was either even or, or had a positive goal difference. So sure, sure. It, it just, to me, that stood out like a sore thumb where it was like, yes. And of course, you know, the Galaxy had that slow start to the year and they got in in the, I think it was in fourth place. So they played them in the first yeah, round. Yeah, yeah. It was they a no brainer that the Galaxy was going to whoop them in. I'm just yeah. looking at. Well, the, the irony is, is if Toronto does get through, you're going to have to have me on again because I think that playoff game will be against New York in New York. So. Yeah, um, that's the way it's so looking right I'll, now, I'll, isn't I'll it? <laughs> so I think that's, I mean, that's the way. Unfortunately, we're we're setting up this game is kind of with the result in hand and the situation with the team in hand. But you know, there is still some. I, I you know, I mentioned to you before we connected, just saying, you know, it is. I think it is still worth running through the match in ways of picking out moments and key players and sort of looking back because I also think the one value. Of, I mean, it's in one way, it's unfortunate that this is the only team in the game that you and I often connect on. But it's yeah, also yeah. valuable because it also serves as a benchmark a lot of the ways, right? We can look sure. back on the last two years and be like, this is where we are when we played New York with Thierry Henry, and this is where we are now. So we're not losing 4-0 in New York. We're only losing 3-1 or something like that. But, you know, coming into this game, I think there is, uh, I, I don't know if I would call it necessarily a big thing, but of course we know, we know Jermaine Defoe is back in the starting 11, hoping yeah. to make an impact with the team. We kind of, I think, are expected to see what our, what this midfield is going to be in the back line now that Caldwell's back. You know, the only question, I always, I think it's, maybe I'm the only one that puts it out there is whether or not Haglund starts or Henry starts. It seems like for sure Greg Vanny uh, prefers uh, Nick Haglund over Daniel Henry, although that won't make a difference yeah. in the next game since Haglund got sent off with a red. But I think the interesting thing that I, that I saw in this game, and I listened to the post-game interviews where they kind of said, there was something about this team coming out in that first 20 minutes, that first 30 minutes, where it was similar in the LA game where, you know, between you and I, and I'm sure most fans looked at Toronto as the underdogs, but they look okay. They look like they're composed. They look like they're actually in the game. But the analogy I want to draw or what I want to, would Michael Bradley or no, sorry, it was Greg Vanny who said it was that pessimism, like a pessimism starts to creep in after the third, you know, a third of the, about a third of the game goes through. And I kind of like to relate it as like a, a boxing analogy where it's like the, you know, they call them the fighter's chinny, where okay. you're, kind of, you're kind of the fight's going, you're just waiting for that one big shot. 
and you know the guy's going to mm-hmm. crumble. He's everything you know that he worked on leading up to the camp, the eight weeks going into this fight. You know that he, you're just waiting for that one shot to test his chin, and he might get knocked down. And I kind of feel like Toronto's in that spot where you know we're at this point of the year. You and I, I think, can probably speculate that something is off center, maybe in the mentality or the balance or harmony in the locker room. But I don't feel like this team has self-belief that after 20 to 30 minutes, they might go out there feeling like they can hang in there, but I don't think they're supremely confident they can see through 90 minutes. Sure. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's a good point. Um, You know, I think there has been a certain sense issue of consistency and of uh, planning and what the objective of the team is each and every game. And, you know, I think part of this just deals with the, it's basically been a downward slide from primarily the beginning of the season, because I think these guys do feel the pressure of, you know, they definitely thought they were going to be a playoff team this year. They definitely thought they were going to be more successful. So you do see that in sports when a team, you know, starts to lose it. It's almost their own mentality more than the actions on the field, but that that could lead into a greater sort of demise. Um, you know, one of the worrying things about this team, you know, just looking at the standing, I mean, uh, at the games this season, um, I think in total they might have been blown out, and I'd say blown out by uh, allowing three or more goals, um, and by you know, lying, uh, by losing by two or more. I think they've been blown out about six times this year, and that is a concern. And you know, we had talked about that with Nelson as the coach. I don't think Vanny has made much of a difference. Uh, but you know, in terms of this funk, I don't think there's anybody who's capable of getting them out of this funk, which is a, a worrying concern. Yeah. And I think that's for me, I mean, that's, I think we'll touch on that as the game, we exit the game. There's some things yeah. I want to talk about, sort of like ideas about moving forward or, or what part of this team, you know, sticks around or is, is worthwhile discussing in the 2015. But I wanted to kind of, there's some really key points in this game that I wanted to throw your way. And, you know, we've talked, we talk a lot about, I should say you talk a lot about um, analyzing players' values. You know, you did that article about two weeks ago when they released the salaries. And of course, a big one that, you know, in the 26th minute, we saw this play where a cross comes in. I think it was Kimura who put it in through, in my my opinion, uh, you know, that I saw that play unfold and I saw Jackson who looked extremely casual in, I would just say he didn't close down Kamara. He gave him the space to put that cross in. And there's Bradley Wright Phillips. And now the question I want to throw to you as the season winds down is, of course, you have a player like Bradley Wright Phillips, who is really, if we're honest, a League One caliber player, scoring 25 goals this year, um, thereabouts. And, of course, we have Toronto FC, on the other hand, spending $6.5 a year on Jermaine Defoe, but also most importantly, a $3 million transfer, if, if that's the number that we are hearing, and you know a DP salary on Gilberto, who I think finished with seven, is that seven right now? Yeah, uh, yeah. How do you, you know, how do you rectify that? What do you have, what's the commentary on what we saw today yeah, or this well, season? Yeah, uh, well, I, I, <laughs> giving me a, a nice fastball to hit there, but, um, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and, and, and again, I can return it to you because, you know, one of the common things that you've said in our podcast before, or when I've been on the podcast is this sort of thing where players have to prove themselves before they get paid. Now, arguably with Defoe, if Defoe played the complete season and didn't have his injuries and was motivated to play the complete season, 
Um, you know, he might not have scored 25 goals, but certainly his pace on the season was the score in the high teens, which is probably what you would expect from him. Both you and I had our concerns for Gilberto. What worries about me in terms of Gilberto is, is that the team sort of does lack confidence in him and, and starting more in the foe up in terms instead of Gilberto. But I always thought, I always had concerns. Again, to me, it's always been a waste of money. Why would you go out and pay $6.5 million for a player, you know, in, in the case of Toronto, two players, and then pay this extra money for Gilberto, when arguably that's not going to make a difference between the team being incredibly successful and the team being where it's at. Um, you could have done a lot of, there could have been a lot of options and arguably, there could have been a lot of options where you could have picked up players during the season. If those players were not doing as you expected, you could have let them go and then grab, try to get new players to to change them. That was another concern with Toronto this season is, is that they sort of wrote what they were going to do at the beginning of the season and kind of had to commit to it through the whole season. So they didn't have a lot of uh, leeway and space to, to make corrections. And that was one of the, cons- or one of the things I wrote about in my... Um, Salary analysis is by having a lesser salaries, you at least have the freedom to experiment. And Toronto didn't really have that this year. Yeah, that's and I I will sort of reiterate, you know, some things that we've said before and my thoughts on that. And it's like I should preface of saying, you know what, I you know, watching him play, I do like Gilberto. Just yeah. on that, on that alone, you know, I think he's he's got great technique. I think he's got lots of potential. But when I think we would both say from a signing perspective bad signing. And I think it, spe- yeah, yeah, it speaks yeah. more. I think it speaks more than just a bad signing. I think it also reflects, you know, if we want to talk about this team moving forward, I mean, to me, that's a major red flag for Tim Bezbachenko, who stood up there in front of us and tried to rhyme off all these great things about him. And, you know, you and I both knew the negatives that were about him. And I think it's very naive on the club's part to say, you know, or, or maybe I don't want to think arrogance is the right word, but it's like, you know, you and I both know it's like, yeah, when it comes to Brazilians or in a lot of instances, uh, some South and Central Americans, the precedent has been laid out there for everyone to see that they you can loan them in for one year, see yeah. how they do. Moral Rosales is an example of that. Juninho yeah. is an example of that. And when they establish themselves and prove that they are capable of hanging this league and value worth the money that you want to pay for them, then you pay them $300,000 a year. Well, and the, and the interesting thing this season is um, Los Angeles brought in a guy named Samuel. Um, and now he was younger than Gilberto, but he was still, you know, in the same sort of realm of prospect. Um, and he didn't he didn't show anything. Um, I think he ended up playing five or six games. And uh, Los Angeles um, ended up dumping him and sending him back to Brazil. And because of that, Los Angeles was forced or thought to play Zardes um, in that position. And part of, you know, one of the main reasons for Los Angeles' success has been the success of Zardes. Right. Um, so, you know, we talk, you know, and again, we don't know about the injuries and stuff, but we, we've talked about Toronto not giving a fair shot to players like DK, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and arguably hard to, and, and we, again, this will ser- definitely become in the conversation when we talk about next year or the future. If, you, if you're a coach or you're a team and you have one player valued at $3 million and another guy who is playing um, in the MLS making 40000 bucks a year, who are you going to start, right? And you automatically assume you have to start Gilberto or you have to start the higher price players ahead. And so you don't, you know, you're basically making your evaluation on who to play based on that opposed to based on who's having the most success on the field. Right. 
And I think uh, I want to try to tie in two things. <clears throat> I mean, I think one issue with that is obviously it creates, is this a word? Is disharmony a word? I don't know. It obvi- You know what I mean? There's yeah, obviously yeah. going to be resentment in the locker room and yeah. whether it's the, like whether it's immediately from the player whose spots being um, taken or it's, you know, players that are around them saying, you know, they can look there and say is like, why is, why is this guy starting over this guy? And then sort of looking at themselves being like, could I be next? You know, could I be the next guy that's well, the, on the bench, even though I'm yeah. putting in all the work and I can tell you right now, I'm, I play better than this guy, uh, but he's getting all the yeah. opportunities and I'm not getting any. Basically, this season probably was lost in these last two games tonight or today's game against New York and then the game against Houston. And arguably, you know, we saw earlier in the season that Gilberto and Defoe weren't playing eye to eye and even having issues. Now, it's interesting in the last two games, the coach has elected to put more in Defoe up front and put Gilberto on the bench. Maybe he thought, you know, maybe the coach thought that the team would gel better with more in Defoe up front opposed to Gilberto and Defoe up front. But arguably, what you're doing is you're putting most of your talent on your bench and not putting the best lineup out there, which, you know, in this league, especially when you have a salary cap and you only have a certain amount of good players, best to try to play as many of the good players as possible. Yeah, and I think it throws something in the face of, you know, there was, I think it was the Tuesday before the game against Houston where there was the interview with Gilberto and they asked him, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready to go. Yeah, I'm ready. If the coach yeah, says I'm okay, ready, and, yeah. and he, not only did he not play, he wasn't even on the bench. And then, and then you see on Twitter people asking, "What's the problem with Gilberto?" And you know, uh, John Molinero is tweeting back uh, injury. Yet there he is playing against New York uh, two days later, three days later. So yeah. it's just let's let's be let's be fair. You know, we've been Toronto FC fans probably have one of the strangest front offices, and I would call them the probably the biggest bullshit artists in the league. Um, sure. And I, you know, I didn't fall off the turnip truck, you know, I, I, last week or today or whatever that, however that expression yeah, goes, yeah. as soon as I saw that go down, I said, there's no fucking way that Gilberto's injured. And, and, yeah. I, and to be fair to John Mueller or any, or any journalist, you know, they, they have probably some discretion they need to use yeah, well, when, sure, with sure, the knowledge sure. that they have. I would be surprised yeah. if, if that was in fact true, but they can't go out there and cause obviously there's yeah, relationships well, and whatnot. So I'll just leave it at yeah. that. But if we want to keep rolling through this, you know, there's there's key points through the game, Aaron, that are worth mentioning, um, especially with this Toronto FC club. If we go to the 34th minute and the goal that happened there with uh, Ruben, uh, what's it, Ruben Bolivar? And, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the problem that I had, I, and I, I can't remember if I look back and saw it on the first goal too, but I do know it was on the last two goals that I would watch it over and over. And it's both times that New York scored those goals in the 18-yard box, we had more defenders than they had attackers. Yeah. Which of yeah. course now speaks to the thing that I thought we thought we had sorted out at the start of the year, which was our defending. Yeah, yeah, no, it's an interesting story and it's it's a traditional because and again, you know, we'll talk about this in the podcast, but I hope to write an article on this as well. We had the and, and you know, not to jump sports, but we had the case with the Toronto Blue Jays where they did something similar and they brought in all these high-priced talent from everywhere else. And those players, for the most part, played to the capabilities that they were asked to play for. But we overvalued, you know, in the Blue Jays' case, they overvalued the talent that was that was on the in the lineup prior to that. And I think, you know, I think Toronto has a, you know, I don't know if it's Toronto sports culture, <laughs> you know, that we to- we kind of overvalue or we like certain players too much that we don't we we aren't honestly critical of them especially the second goal. And, you know, I've mentioned this on a few occasions. 
And it's not that I think you, you know, it's not that I say you should throw him out and, and, and not use him. I certainly think Bendik was the fault of the second goal and not to have options in terms of looking at goaltending or looking at other players and saying, well, this guy struggled. So let's try the other guy for one game and see if there's any difference with the team and see how that goes. Um, this sort of reliability that we're going to have to keep these guys in no matter what. Um, and I think, you know, over a long season, especially when you lose out of a playoff by one or two points, I think those things are key points of why you missed out. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I think if we look at some of the goals now, I know that obviously Joe Bendix had some really good games for his team. But we I mean, we brought that up at the start of the year as well, saying, you know, what's going to happen when Cesar leaves? When, yeah, when yeah. Bendik is the number one, and then also, you know, there's really going to be, who's going to be his competition? And uh, I think that was also, I mean, when you had Stefan Fry and Milos Kosic, I think that was healthy because I wouldn't say either of those players were that much greater than the other, but on their mm -hmm. best day, both those guys could really put in outstanding performances. And I think that we haven't seen a lot of those from Joe Bendik and you know, I don't, I'm going to be a little bit harsh here, Aaron, but I, I, maybe I'll see if, if you agree. But I kind of feel like almost every draft, you could, if you were keying in on a keeper, you could find, you know, yeah. you could find oh, yeah. that caliber, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. right? And you so you could find yeah. a guy, yeah. uh, you know, you mentioned in your last article about the uh, NCAA, there's that keeper at Washington right now. I mean, if Toronto's in a good position with some decent draft picks, if they wanted to draft that guy and have themselves like a, a highly competitive guy with him, or even possibly potentially a new number one, he's there, and yeah, that's to me yeah, speaks of yeah. just like I I still don't I still think that's a question mark for us. Yeah, and again, I do think generally I do think this team has too many perceived to be untouchables that deserve to be challenged in their positions. I thought um, even though he scored uh, um, in the game against New York, I saw Azario um, throughout the season hasn't been you know he's been a bit hit and miss. And he could have been challenged for his position, um, you know, and certainly the keeper could have been challenged for his position. And we sort of saw that in some capacity this season because I think Hagerlin was brought in primarily to be more of a right back and and, a, and a, at most a reserve. But, you know, because him and, and Henry, Henry's had some of his troubles and Hagerlin has had some of his troubles. One of the things, too, when you look back at the season, you know, I think the injury of Caldwell certainly was a big effect and probably the greatest effect in terms of why the team's not in the playoffs this year. But I liked what they were doing with that and having options at that center back position as long as they were healthy. And I think if the team was more properly developed, they would have more players who can who can go into those roles and and you know provide more depth. And I think that's what uh, Toronto's lack what Toronto's lack at most. Um, this season and, and in the past. Yeah, I think that I think that Caldwell thing is a good note, Aaron, because <clears throat> I thought he was essential up until I think it was the the Houston win at home, and then we had that horrible streak, and he was gone through that. But I I would also say since he's been back, I don't think he's been as I don't think he's been as good as he was before. I think you're you're seeing. I think he maybe he's coming back. He, I mean, he's, he yeah. obviously looks like he's getting through ninety minutes, but you know the last game against Houston. I think it was Giles Barnes who was running at him, and I was like, he looked to me, he looked like a deer caught in headlights, like he didn't know what he was going to do. And then in this game, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, in both two goals, I saw him kind of. It just didn't really look like he knew where. Like I was saying, we had them outnumbered in the box, and both times it looked like Caldwell was when the goal went in, he was the guy who was standing alone. 
who wasn't marking someone. And I'm sort of like, and I understand that he's kind of the general and the marshal, but I would, I would sort of expect him to be on someone and telling other people to be on these other guys, etc. So, you know, the last thing I think, you know, obviously Toronto goes down, is down 3-0 at the half, Aaron. And you touched on that, you know, in the second half, Toronto gets that one goal back. And even, uh, you know, Michael Bradley mentioned yeah. after the game, sort of saying, you know, I thought I played better in the second half. Uh, personally, I don't take a lot from, from that goal, that one goal coming back or any performance in the second half. I mean, when a team's up 3-0, they're coasting. You know, it's, you can't, you can't, I, for me, I don't think you can rate a performance the same in yeah, 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 yeah. second half down 3-0 as the start of a game at 0-0. Uh, same thing as, yeah, you know, Toronto might play okay in these last two games, but, you know, that's irrelevant at, at the end of the season when you're essentially out of it. When, where is that at the start of the year or in the middle of the year when yeah, those yeah. are the performances of sure, the ones sure. that build you into a contender? I, would, I wanted to sort of piggyback on your, your, your mentioning of Osorio, even though he scored uh, a decent goal, that uh, I agree that the, he, I think he exceeded the expectations in 2013. And I wasn't expecting that from again this year, but I also, I don't want to say disappointed, but I think it's, I think it's fair pointing out that he was not as influential as he was or could have been, I thought, this year. Yeah, well, again, I think with him, it's a case of how he's being used and positioning and stuff like that. You know, the thing that worries me about him is now in two complete seasons, he only has 14 shots on goal um, combined for the two seasons. I think now the way the team is setting up is they try to make him the sort of attacking midfielder. And now I had thought at the beginning of the season, Rosario was going to be used more and that Azario and Di Rosario would play off each other. And then that would provide the sort of good option in that position for the club. Again, I just think that it's easy to put blame on new guys who come in and players that you don't have a connection to and sort of give uh, players that you like or players that you have a long-term relationship with a bit of a break. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the results and where the team finishes is a more true reflection in terms of how the team does. And, you know, for example, if you compare Jonathan Azario to Silva, who realistically, many could argue that Zero was the reason why Silva was let go so easily to DC. Certainly Silva has proven to himself to be a more quality player in MLS than Azario has over the last two seasons. Yeah, but you know, in that regard too, I think, and I, I'm sure you would agree, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, Jonathan Azario is still 21. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I think that's worth bearing in mind. Yeah, and my only, my only worry is, is, is that he was also, and this is another thing behind the you know, back scenes with the Toronto FC office, is he was given a large raise going into the season for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> Again, I don't know the reason why, because traditionally, like the funny thing was, even though Azario was now, and he's, he is 21, but even though he was with Toronto, he's still making more than Silva is in, in D.C., and he's counting more against the cap than Silva is in D.C., so in a lot of these cases, even though a lot of these players are young, the way the salary works in the MLS is their value might decrease because you cannot consistently pay them a large fee for years and years and years until they develop into a player where they start paying back the money you paid them earlier on in their career. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, a, that's a great point because it's like that's part of the thing that, you know, I kind of lump a lot of these Canadian guys in together. And it's yeah. like I find that 
you know, Toronto FC fans are the hardest on Canadian players for some crazy reason. You know, they really get on them bad. And, you know, Ashton Morgan is a, is a key example of that in my books. Kyle Becker is an yeah. example of that. Even Daniel Henry is an example of that. And uh, people still have a good, f I think people are generally still positive about Jonathan Osorio, but I would be curious how next season goes, what people will think about him. But it's, I think overall, he's got, he's still got that because of his age. I think he's still got a little bit of hype around him, but yeah. we'll see what happens in, uh, in 2015. But Aaron, I wanted to kind of roll out of this game. We kind of, we started the podcast on kind of framing what this result means for Toronto, which really isn't anything good. But I wanted to kind of look at a bigger picture coming sure. out of the game, and you know specifically, you know, uh, you know, I've been seeing, I've been, you know, people have been talking about it since, I guess he was hired, and you know, I saw some tweets this past week that were saying things, uh, you know, I should be fair. I mean, it was, it was a tweet from Kurt Larson, and he kind of had a tweet. He's really good at engaging people and putting these questions out there, saying something to the effect of, you know, Bezbachenko and Vanny need to be here in 2015. I think that's I think that's curious. I find that interesting. I don't necessarily agree. What are your thoughts on what are your thoughts on Greg Vanny in this front office moving into the next season from where we are right now? Yeah, I have a, I have a couple of views on that. My first view is is I'll admit this in this podcast, but I, I do plan to write articles on this. Um, you know, a lot of us are eating humble pie right now, including myself, because I did have Toronto almost a guaranteed playoff team and in first place in terms of my season projections which didn't happen. And, you know, one of the first people, not, you know, not to pick on him, but one of the first people who had an inside track to what TFC was doing and was posting tweets in, you know, last December and January about Toronto FC guaranteed playoff team and you don't know what you guys are getting and this is going to be amazing and they're going to win for sure, was Larson himself. <laughs> so, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of analysis, and, you know, I know he works for a reporter for a newspaper, so it's a different role he has. But in terms of analysis, I would like to hear both sides of the story from someone and, and see where, the, you know, I would love to hear from Larson where they think the team messed up this year and, and how, you know, and, and in terms of evaluating that, that's how I would evaluate Vanny and Bezpachenko. Yeah. Um, I've also heard... And I've talked to people connected to the team or behind the team or close relationship to the team where they have this sort of big plan and tack. And this big plan and tack does include a lot of analytics, includes a lot of analysis. And, and one of their issues with Nelson this season is Nelson was semi-old school and still working under the philosophy that Payne provided him when he came into the team. They don't feel they were given a fair chance to develop the team as they wish to develop the team. On the counterpoint to that, you know, we've talked about it. It's funny because we talked about this in, in July when uh, the last New York game and Bradley's father is still, <laughs> still struggling. Uh, Bob Bradley is still struggling in Norway, um, arguably will not be back in Norway after the season. So I still like the idea. I still have more trust in the team bringing a um, legitimate coach in. But I do see, you know, the tradition now in the MLS is to bring these sort of young guys in, allow them to deal with the issues and stuff like that. Now, one of the funny things, to, but one of the funny things is, is uh, uh, um, I, I forgot who it was. I think it was some sort of 
researching group basically says that the MLS has coaches have the longest spells as coaches in any in any major soccer league in the world. So traditionally, I guess what what Larson is looking at is he's looking at the success of Olsen in in and and DC of of Heaps in New England, uh, potentially Robinson in in uh, Vancouver, and he's basically saying you know Toronto needs to do the same thing to make us a more consistent team going into the future. Yeah, and you know I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to sort of uh, repeat something a few I think it was a few weeks ago or when Vanny first was hired. Um, and, and I saw that someone replied, you know, I bet you know, DC is feeling good about this or New England's feeling good about this. And I mean, my response to that was, I mean, you can't compare Vanny, in my estimation, Vanny with Toronto FC to, to Olsen in DC, Heaps in New England, or even Christ in Rail Salt Lake. Uh, the, mm-hmm. point, the reason being is, I mean, uh, I've said this before, Ben Olsen was DC United. You know, he yeah, played there yeah, for eight yeah. years. DJ yep. Heaps was New England. Jason Christ was for three, I think it was three years, the face and, of Rail Salt Lake. And not to interrupt, but arguably Heaps and Olsen have been a, has been a, a detriment to DC and New England this year, despite their successes. Um, I think more what shows to what those teams done, culture of the team, or you know, in some case the GM or the back office of the team, to bring the players in, to make them this team as successful, those teams as successful as they were. And certainly with Heaps in New England, he's had issues throughout the year in terms of finding a lineup and and the team underperforming. And, you know, if it wasn't for long winning streaks through the season, they would have playoff issues. And and DC United, um, you know, you have to give Olsen some credit, although Olsen was also the coach last season when the team was was very, you know, was the worst team in the league. Arguably, you can say DC United's success is based on the five or six players that they brought into the team this year, more to that than coaching or anything else. So that's the reason why they're successful. Yeah, and, and my second point, Aaron, that I wanted to bring up was also that, I mean, you look at the situation, and I, it's, it's going to sound arrogant, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll do it anyways. I mean, you, you have a situation in Toronto where you know, a full house and you know the popularity, the popularity of the team is slipping through their fingers. Yeah, Whereas yeah. you know, if, if, you know, you could argue that. I mean, when Jason Christ took over Real Salt Lake, I mean, they weren't drawing. Uh, DC yeah. is is was is struggling with Ben Olsen yeah. at the helm. Same thing with New England. I mean, those those aren't packed houses when they hired no, them as as head no. coaches, right? No, yeah, no one really cares <laughs> to be right. you know, to be blunt. True. Right. So but, I mean, yeah. like to me, it's my point is that. There, there should be some. There should be a little bit of urgency, I think, in Toronto, especially with Toronto C, to say, you know, like I wanted to, you know, circling back to that point about Gibraltar, where it's just like, they just think that, like, oh, you know, this, this is never proven to work, but we're Toronto, we're Toronto MLSE and Toronto C, so we're just going to do it anyways, right? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, never mind yeah, the yeah. the things that have been proven to be successful. Uh, we're just going to do this, and because it's us we're sure that it'll work out, which more, more times than not, it doesn't. You know, well, yeah, and one of the biggest issues, and this goes with all the sports with MLSE, but is, is no one's ever held accountable. You know, it, it's funny because I think going into this MLSC or this TFC season, it was the first time an MLSC team was accountable, right? Where Lewicki said, we're going to guarantee to be a playoff team. And I think Bezvachenko sort of echoed that. I, I think the upper management of the team echoed that. Um, it was certainly in the press clippings at the beginning of the year. And it'd be funny if, 
you know, Lewicki leaves on his own behalf. GM and coach, well, this new coach comes back, but no one's really been held accountable, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, this still stands true today. For Bezpachenko, for me to have any trust in Bezpachenko, and in that case, Vanny, you know, they have to come out and, and be completely honest and say, this is what we see the team being. This is where we see the team going. This is how we are going to be successful. And this is what, you know, this is what's going to happen. And unfortunately, is at least, you know, in, in the case of Heaps, in the case of Olsen, and in Vanny, you know, I don't know, I know his history, but I don't know him that well. They have that soccer culture connected to them. So they at least can reference it. My biggest issue, one of my biggest issues when, when Bezbachenko came in, is he didn't really, you know, he, he worked with the head office, but he didn't really have, he didn't, he didn't do two, either two things. He didn't have the analytics to say, this is what we're going to do as a team and convince the fan base that this is what they're going to do. Or he didn't have the history for the fan base to trust him. Yeah. Right. And I think the unfortunate thing going to next season, if they keep it as is, you know, there's going to be no trust, right? Like I'm, honestly concerned like i give huge credit for the 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 diehard tfc fans but even you know and i i think part of this is part of me is weird like who who schedules an mls game two games to go with the rest of the season when toronto could be in the playoff race and has the game up against a maple leaf game (laughs) beyond all of that we felt lost at the end of last year I think now we're even, you know, I think now we should even be more lost. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to connect, I'm going to tie us up into our last segment, but the one point I wanted to make, you know, you said at the beginning about that slide from the start of the season and then, you know, what you're saying about Bezbachenko and, you know, my concern, my red flag is, is things like this, where it's like, we have this, Bezbachenko is leading the charge for this grand plan, but based on what based on what reference based on what experience yeah, yeah. does he know that this is going to work and then of course you're then you're we're going with greg vanny and the funny thing was in his post game where i was talking about that point we were saying you know there's something about this 20 minute mark and we just kind of get pessimistic and whatever and he's saying all these coming up with all these reasons for like why is it around the 30 minute mark that this happens and in my head the word that's come to my head is uh, preparation uh, yeah, you know, the, yeah. the, what you guys well, yeah. did in practice like those, that's the things that yeah. stuck out in my head I'm like maybe because these guys don't feel like they're prepared that they're they're superficially up for the game but when they're in the thick of the game they you know at 30 minute mark they look around and say shit we're one mistake away from them scoring which is something that's addressed in practice well yeah and, and, and you know and if we were giving you know the unfortunate thing for both those people if we're giving grades um, they would be lower grades because the two things, the two concerns that Toronto had this year, in my opinion, um, number one is where they've shown weaknesses. Like I think they have allowed the most goals through corners um, in the MLS this season. Um, they've given up, you know, penalty, a lot more penalty kicks than they've uh, uh, received. Certain plays that you think the manager does have some influence on. And this was certainly a concern of mine when Nelson was in there, right? Because Nelson wasn't, addressing these issues and i don't think uh, vanny has done that either um and then the other thing with bezbachenko which i didn't mention was in my first article when the first salaries came out this season and we were evaluating when well, no, i wrote an article evaluating salaries at that point the players bezbachenko brought in this year J- jackson morrow the reason why they were available to toronto is because they automatically were going to higher salaries so they weren't valuable to the teams who let them go right so even though they are you can say they're okay MLS players, and for one season, you know, you're you're willing to to spend the bank on it. You're willing to go for it. 
um, you know, they might be useful in that one season, but they're certainly not players that you can build a team around. And so Bezvichenko had, you know, outside, you know, I think Hagelin was a good draft pick. I think Lovitz has some potential. But outside of those two uh, draft picks, I don't think he's done anything to show the team this is a team to, that's going to develop into sort of long-term success. Yeah, and I think that's the, the exit point I, I wanted to uh, leave this podcast on, Aaron. <laughs> it's unf- sorry for the like, you know, the dark storm clouds that are hovering over, but I, I, I'd be surprised if many of the listeners are feeling uh, super positive at this point. But we touched on something before uh, we we hit record on this, and you know, I think it connects into these last couple things we've talked about. Um, you know, where the team is going forward and you saying they might not be better off than they were. Uh, you know, you were mentioning an article you wrote uh, at the season starting with this this money that the team spent. And, you know, as much as people, I think, probably thought, oh, yeah, this is different this time. Is it really any different this time? I mean, this team has, done, has for the first seven years, uh, very irresponsibly spent money. And, and the, whether it was on DPs or just players in the league, um, yeah, yeah, they were really poor at, at evaluating talent and, and the value, uh, or or getting the most uh, the most bang for their buck. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Definitely. Definitely. Oh, you know, arguably probably the worst team in in <laughs> North American sports history. You know, if you compare, especially in the salary cap system, which is supposed to restri- restrict teams from doing this, right? Um, you know, because teams are only restricted in terms of a certain amount of money that they can spend. It's interesting this year as i said this year was a bit of a caveat because it's almost the case where because they have in the mls you have the capabilities of bringing these tps in toronto could have art you know and they did say it that at the beginning of the season we're going for it this year so you will make a couple of short-term decisions that will hurt your team long term because you need really need to win this season you know and i think that was their objective and so now that they haven't even won this season you know, they basically got to scrap everything and restart. And, you know, and that brings up a lot of questions to what this team is going to be next year and how successful this team will be next year. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I'm, yeah, <laughs> I, I think everyone's kind of, uh, I think the future to a degree looks a little uncertain. I'm interested to see if they, in fact, stick with Vanny. I guess I'm assuming they will, uh, you know, what this sort of master plan is that they have in store for us to actually make 2015 build on this year and actually improve. But you know, on that on that note, Aaron, I think we're gonna we're gonna wind it down. Uh, I think we've gone through a lot of stuff in terms of probably what a lot of people are talking about over this weekend. Uh, you know, what's the story with this team and what we have to look forward to uh, through this off season. Uh, and uh, Aaron, you you can be found at ENB Sports. Yep. And you've released a uh, you know a couple of things recently. You did your your NAS. You did two, didn't you? Recently, um, like top one hundred um, prospects. I did a yeah. I did a well. Traditionally, I do a college sort of review, and I did a prospect list for college for the upcoming MLS draft and homegrown signing period. And then I did a you know because now there's this affiliation between USL Pro and MLS, and a lot of players are sent on loan, including Toronto FC players with the relationship with Wilmington. So I sort of looked into that and saw how these players are doing. And going into the near future, you know, I think one of the other interesting and gloomy points, but this is also, um, this offseason is also a negotiation period between the union and the league. And I think that's very interesting because I think we're reaching a skill-wise where the North American players, including the Canadian players, are quality enough to play in this league. 
But at the same time, there's almost so, too much money in the MLS that the MLS is continuing wasting money bringing players in who, you know, are not cutting it or, you know, or just, or just, you know, or, or we hear these great stories of all these homegrown players being brought up and then not given the time to show themselves. And so they basically elaborate on that. Yeah, that's great. Okay. So Aaron, uh, you know, we've got two games left in this season. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, maybe we can try to end this on a positive note. Hey, we're not out of it yet, guys. Uh, what's everyone going to get oh, all hysterical go. about? Uh, you know, sure. we just got to win the next two games and Columbus has to lose them. So, uh, we, we'll, we got Montreal next weekend and we'll be back for that. And I'm actually looking forward to that podcast because we're, I, we're going to try to get, uh, a new RNO contributor who's been writing about sort of supporter culture. So, Okay, that's another perfect. topic I think we're going to touch on on that one, sort of saying what's going to, you know, what's going on with us, uh, you know, Toronto City supporters and how we can kind of get that picked up again. And then, uh, and then of course, the last games against New England. So on that note, Aaron, thanks a lot uh, for joining no me uh, on this, on this Thanksgiving Monday and uh, <laughs> stay, hanging in there for this episode. What are, what are we thankful for? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's exactly. The season's almost over. There you go. Well, We're put out of our misery. <laughs> and uh, so, everyone, uh, we appreciate you uh, grinding through this episode with us. And we promise there'll be sunnier days ahead. Uh, hopefully, next year, next year, next week, we'll come with a big sense of humor and uh, we'll f- try to finish this season on a, on a higher note. So, thanks again. We'll catch you guys then. Um, and uh, we'll catch you next time. All right. Thanks. Eastside Stand-Up is the only Toronto specific podcast breaking down the game right after it happens. We want you to get involved. Reach out to us on Twitter at RedNationOnline or on email at info at RedNationOnline.ca and share your thoughts on how the Reds did on the pitch today. As well, check out other podcasts on RedNationOnline.ca from the Black Hole and the Gaffer and Hooligan, giving you all the coverage you want on Canadian soccer. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.